Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Pray with me. Lord, I would ask that you add the blessing of God to our study of your word. Illumine us by your spirit that we might understand and apply and think rightly and be encouraged in our souls. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. The psalm we just read is beautiful. Wouldn't you agree? It is hopeful and it's dangerous. Would you agree with that too? Rightly understood, this psalm offers us great hope, great spiritual courage wrongly handled we could misuse it to paint to paint a false picture of worldly prosperity and security that the lord does not want us to expect so today i want us to find the hope the true hope the biblical hope god intends The Apostle Peter tells us that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Why roar? Why would he roar? The devil loves to cause us fear. By the way, by that I mean a general, the devil. I doubt the actual devil's messing with you personally. Because there's only one of him. And again, I think he lives in Washington, D.C. Um... (laughs) It's a joke, it's a joke. But he visits Vegas, I'm rather sure of that too. Um, But the devil and his minions, the evil one and his practices, wants to cause you fear, right? One of the devil's greatest weapons to use against us is fear, because fear robs us of joy. Fear prevents us from taking right actions. Fear makes us doubt the goodness of God. I know there's a fear that's good. It's always good. It's always right to fear the Lord. But when the Bible talks of fearing God, the fear that the Bible calls us to 
That's a sense of reverence, of awe, of honor, of respect. In truth, you fear God rightly, that'll help you deal with and go against the kind of fear the devil wants to cause. 1 John 4.18a, the beginning says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God calls us to fear him in reverence, and God calls us to battle against every other fear there is. The love of God, the spirit of God, drive away from our souls the sorts of fears that often consume us. What do you fear? Think it through. There are probably more things than you want to admit. In our weak natures, we fear all sorts of stuff, don't we? We fear the unknown. We fear poverty. We fear spiders. We fear the foolishness of the government. We fear the future. We fear sickness. We fear death. Perhaps your fears are even less defined than all that. A couple minutes on Google this week told me that during the lockdown days of 2020, Americans increased their intake of anti-anxiety medication by 34%. Another government report will tell us that the lifetime prevalence of anxiety disorders is now 26% for men, 40% for women. Can you fathom that? One out of four men diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, four out of ten women. From general anxiety to acute panic attacks, people you know and maybe even you deal with anxiety. Many people face fears they cannot even define, and they deal with fear regularly, even daily. There are a host of contributing factors to why we fear So I'm not going to stand up here and offer you a simple shoot-from-the-hip solution to your fear. Battling fear, for many, is a lifelong occupation. And once you begin spiraling down, sometimes the fear you struggle with will change your very body chemistry, which makes fighting your fear more than simply just deciding to cut it out. By the way, you ever have, have somebody tell you just to cut that out? Sometimes it works and sometimes it don't, right? But fighting fear is a spiritual battle. Do you know that? And God's word is both totally relevant to and sufficient for the contest. How good is it then that God gives us words today to give us courage and trust? How wonderful is it that God protects us from fear by reminding us of his faithfulness and his eternal promise. We need help from God to get rid of flawed fears, and our passage for today is one full of great hope, fear-defeating hope. You know, we don't know who wrote Psalm 91. It may have been Moses. Imagine how greatly encouraged Moses and the people would have been hearing those words that we just read from this psalm as they came out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, across the wilderness. Maybe David wrote it. 
It would make sense for David to give his men this kind of sweet confidence and courage in God before they entered into one of the many battles that the nation faced before his kingdom was firmly established. Maybe some other unnamed author penned the psalm for us. Really doesn't matter to us who wrote this psalm. In fact, the anonymity of the work helps us to see that this applies to the people of God throughout every single generation. This hopeful song definitely has a different type of application for a modern Christian than it might have had for an Old Testament Israelite. But there are principles for us to learn, principles of great hope. Psalm 91 contains three different voices. You see a person who takes refuge in God. We see a teacher explaining to us the faithfulness and the promise of God. And we hear, perhaps from one other teacher, the voice of God himself in response. So today, let's hear those three voices, and let's find three points of application for us. And we'll try to see how the word of God would have spoken to a citizen of Israel before the ministry of Jesus, and we'll seek to see what these words say to us about living in the modern world without fear. So point number one... Shelter in the Lord. Point number one, shelter in the Lord. This covers verses one and two. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The first, vo- the first voice you hear as the psalm opens is that of one who trusts in the Lord. The first verse itself summarizes for us the entire psalm. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The one who seeks to live under the protection of the Lord will in fact have the Lord as his protector. To dwell in the shelter of the Most High is to seek to make your home In the secret place, a hidden place, a secure place belonging to El Elyon, the Most High. That title for God is not a a declaration, by the way, that he's Most High, but there's a bunch of other gods. No, 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 no. It's a reminder that there is no being out there who can come close to the glory of God Most High. Now, in Hebrew poetry, how many of you all love thinking about Hebrew poetry? How many of y'all love thinking about American poetry? Nah, not so much, right? In Hebrew poetry, writers and singers did not tend to rhyme their lines the way that we rhyme our lines when we write poetry in English. I know some of you say that you write poetry without rhyme, but I don't get it. Neither did they follow meter in Hebrew poetry the way that we follow meter today, right? Today, a good poem, I'm, this is my judgment and therefore it's mine, uh, will, they, they will measure syllables and stresses, right, to get the lines right. But back then what they would do is they would put lines that were in balance or maybe they were in contrast. The poet would follow a thought with its opposite to make a contrast or maybe he would follow it with a parallel thought to bring it emphasis. What happens when you make your home in the secret, sacred refuge of the Lord? Second line of the first verse is a poetic parallel. It says the same thing. It expands it. It it emphasizes it. 
dwelling in the place of the Most High, El Elyon, will leave you under the shade and protection of the Almighty, El Shaddai. If you seek to live in the place of God's protection, you will have God as your protector. Now, it's nice to hear somebody say that the one who seeks God's protection will have God as protector. But verse 2 takes the principle and makes it personal. While verse 1 declares, he who does this has that. Verse 2 declares from the believer's voice, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The difference in verses 1 and 2 is significant. It's the difference of theory and practice, of possibility and application. Verse 1 and verse 2 are as different as having someone say to you, you are loved, and someone else saying to you, I love you. The first voice we hear tells us, sheltering in God is good. Sheltering in God gains his protection. And then that voice says, in a meaningful way, I have in fact taken refuge in God. I have made God my mighty and protecting fortress. It is not merely a God, a God out there in whom I shelter. I shelter in my God. That was true of the days of Moses or of David is true of the 21st century American here. Any person who seeks to be under the sheltering protection of God will in fact be welcomed by God to be under his protection. So the point is shelter in the Lord. Do not theorize that God protects people out there. You run to God and get under God's shelter. Now, in the days of the old covenant, God had made a particular agreement with the nation of Israel. It was a contract, if you will. God chose Israel to be his special nation, a people for his own possession, and the vehicle that would bring the Savior into the world. God swore to Israel, if they obey his laws, he will physically protect them in supernatural ways. God promised to give them victories in battle, flourishing crops, helpful weather, safety from harm under his sheltering hand. Israel, for their part as a nation, had to honor God first, loving him through obedience to his law, loving others made in his image. Because what is the law of God? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Ten Commandments are an outworking of those principles. The law of, number, of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, it's an outworking of those principles. Exodus 2. When Israel obeyed God's law, they found physical shelter from their enemies, shelter in God. But contained in the Old Covenant is the promise of a new covenant. You understand that, right? You see, God knew that Israel could not obey any covenant of works. God knew that Israel would not, as a nation, obey him. They would not trust him. They would not keep his commands. 
The old covenant that promised blessing for the nation based on their obedience, actually, even from its initiation, the principle was already baked in that it had to be superseded by something different, something greater, something better, something not dependent on the goodness of mankind. God promised he would send someone into the world to rescue a people for God. And that salvation is not something that we gain through personal obedience. Instead, as Abram believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness, those who entrust themselves to the care of the promised one to come will be rescued by grace. How do you shelter in the Lord today? I want you to think about this. How do you shelter in the Lord? You come to Jesus. Because he's the one God promised. He's the rescuer that brings God's grace to all nations. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus came and fulfilled the requirement of a perfect and holy life that no other human has ever lived. Jesus died to pay the price for the sins of all the people that he will forgive. And Jesus invites people. He invites you. Come to him in faith. Believing in his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his mighty resurrection. Jesus invites people to come and get under his shade. And he says he will bring you into the shelter of the grace of God. Have you sheltered in Jesus? Have you realized you can't be good enough on your own to impress God? Just pause here for a minute. Take your goody goodness on your best day. How close are you to infinite perfection? Take what you think of as a, just a semi-good day. How far from infinite perfection are you? Your best or your worst, you are infinitely far from the perfection of God. You can't do it on your own. So here's the question. Have you believed in Jesus and asked Jesus to save your very soul? Because if not, here's my invitation to you. Even in point number one, my invitation, God's invitation is this. Take shelter in Jesus. Stop fighting against God. Stop thinking you're the master. Ask Jesus, because of what you've done, please save me. You might wonder why we camped here on the gospel in the first point. You need to be able to grasp that there are a couple of different kinds of shelter that the Lord provides. In the old covenant, the shelter was shelter from physical enemies. In the new covenant, The primary shelter that the Lord provides for us is forgiveness of sin and life everlasting in Christ. Certainly, God still protects his people and provides for our needs, but we know that God sometimes lets his people suffer hardships. Many faithful men and women of the past have been imprisoned, tortured, even martyred for the faith. And the faithful who have given their lives for Jesus would tell you, 
that the grace of God and the joy and the presence of God and the glory of God, it's worth more you could ever give up in this life. There's no pain you could face in the here and now that will even be a blip on the radar in comparison to the greatness of the grace and glory of life forever in God's presence. So, as we see the promise of God's protection to come, let's remember that the Lord may protect you physically today. But greater than physical protection for today is the promise of resurrection life, eternal life, glorious life in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And let's keep rolling forward here with point number two. Shelter in the Lord, yes, but point number two, fear no worldly threat. Fear no worldly threat. I want you to notice before I read anything here, the voice changes. We go from a first person, I will this and I will that, my God, to a voice speaking to you about what God, he will do. If the first voice was the Israelite entrusting himself to God's care, the second voice here is the teacher helping the one who trusts to find courage in the Lord's protection. So look at verses 3 and 4. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Here's a variety of kinds of protection from a variety of kinds of threats, right? The psalmist declares that God will protect you, the one who shelters in him, from the snare of the fowler. What's a fowler? Somebody who hunts birds. They attempt to ensnare the bird in a net or a trap. The fowler is a hidden threat, a physical danger. But if you are the little birdie, God will protect you from the fowler's trap. Verse 4 says, the psalmist, hey, we got the bird going here. The Lord will protect you like a mother bird protecting her young. He will spread his wings over you to shelter you. You will find safety and security under his feathers. Please remember we're being poetical and symbolical here. God does not actually have feathers. But what we see is that God protects his own. He can cover us up. He can keep us safe. Some of you rednecks who raise chickens know what it's like to see a mama chicken cover her nest with her feathers, right? Final line of verse 3 tells us that this protection of God is not simply a protection from physical threats of a sneaky fowler. The Lord also will protect his people from the deadly pestilence. A pestilence is a disease, it's a plague, it's an epidemic, it's a pandemic. People fear many things, don't they? Sometimes we fear the hidden threat of an enemy who would like to bring us down, and sometimes we fear a sickness that might disable us or bring about our death. God is able to protect from either one. And in the final line of verse 4, God is described as being a shield and buckler for our protection. That picture is no sweet mama bird covering her chicks in her nest. These are pictures of armor. They stir images of strong walls and protection from swords. 
God's protection from enemies is not easily broken. Verses 5 and 6. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Here's some more Hebrew, poetry, Hebrew poetic parallelism here, right? Watch the lines. You see the similarity and the contrast going here, right? As you read through, you see night compared with day. You see darkness compared with noon. And the point, of course, is to encompass all times and all circumstances. And you see physical threats contrasted with invisible disease. But there is one common theme through all of these lines, a common thread that ties them together. Night or day, dark or light, disease or enemy arrow, you will not have to fear them. Verses 7 and 8. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. See, one of the ways that our fears are most stirred are when we see other people harmed. Have you ever noticed you get scared when, when bad things happen to people around you? Right? In a battle, your comrades in arms may fall. During a time of disease, you might see sickness sweep through a whole village in the Bible time, through a whole city in our time. And when you see people around you fall, you start wondering to yourself, am I next? Verse 7, the teacher's voice calls on us not to fear. Yes, you may see people fall. You may see thousands fall around you, even tens of thousands. But you who shelter in the Lord, you will not be touched. You will be protected. Verse 8 goes on to say that what you will see if you trust in and shelter in the Lord is the recompense of the wicked. You will see the judgment of God fall on those who oppose God. You will see God accomplish God's plan and God will judge the evil of the world. You will stand, you will be unharmed while the wicked fall. What's the teacher telling the people so, so far? Fear no worldly threat. Fear no hidden trap. Fear no disease. Fear no enemy army. Trust the Lord. Trust him and he'll keep you safe even as the judgment of God falls on the wicked. Then 9 to 13. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Look at the hope. Because you've trusted in the Lord, making him your refuge, you're protected. He'll keep your tent secure, safe, from disease because you rest in the lord god will task the very angels to protect you god will empower you to walk over lions and snakes with no fear and no harm realize the protection here is coming because the person has taken shelter in god it's the person's relationship with the lord that is central here But let's pause and let's think about these promises from Old Covenant and New Covenant perspectives. Picture Moses leading the people out of Egypt. We know Moses wrote Psalm 90, so maybe Moses wrote 91. We just don't know. What 
might Moses have feared leaving Egypt? He might have feared swords, chariots, arrows. Moses was a smart man. He, he also may have understood that a traveling encampment of Israelites would have been a moving petri dish of potential diseases that could wipe the nation out. Moses needed to know God would supernaturally protect the nation from such things so long as they obeyed God's commands, so long as they found their refuge in the Lord. You guys obey me. I'm going to keep you. Or let's do another one. Think about King Hezekiah. When the Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem around 701 B.C., what hope did Hezekiah have? Hezekiah had word that thousands, even tens of thousands, had already fallen around him. Hezekiah prayed, and the prophet Isaiah told him, God heard you. And in one night, one angel of God struck down 185,000 Assyrian troops. Even the historians who don't believe in God say, we don't know what happened. Some sort of plague must have ravaged the Assyrian camp. Hezekiah saw the recompense of the wicked while he was free from the disease. When the king turned and trusted in the Lord, God supernaturally protected the nation he had promised he would protect. So, does this mean... We can assume that if we love God, we'll never get sick, never be tricked, never be abused, never be attacked. No. Don't, don't, don't walk down that road or you'll hurt yourself. God promised national Israel during the Old Covenant physical protection for obedience to his law. That was part of the covenant agreement, a works-based part of the covenant. But what has God promised those who are not just physically born into Old Testament Israel, but instead who are spiritually born into the kingdom of Christ? God has promised us something infinitely, immeasurably better than what Israel had. God has promised us his holy presence. God has promised us comfort. God has promised us eternal life. And God's promise, you better like this part, God's promise is not based on your obedience. Aren't you glad? How many of you are good obeyers? God's promise is based on the perfect obedience and completed work of Jesus Christ. Don't misunderstand. God does protect and preserve his people. Right? The Apostle Paul on a stormy sea tells the passengers of the ship, okay guys, the ship's going to sink, but you're all going to live. And it happened by God's grace exactly as Paul said. When Paul was in a prison in Rome, he wrote to the Philippians saying, I really think I'm getting out of this prison because I've got more ministry work to do. And Paul was right then. 
somewhere around AD 61 or 62, Nero, sweetheart of a guy from what I know, Nero let Paul go. God protected him. In the 16th century in Germany, the 19th century in England, both Martin Luther and C.H. Spurgeon had times where they ministered to people who were suffering from deadly diseases. And you know what? Neither one of those two guys died of those diseases themselves. Should we assume that this is because Martin Luther and C.H. Spurgeon were extra perfect and extra godly? No. You guys know Luther was flawed, right? Even if you've got a Luther bobblehead on your desk, you know he was not a perfect man. Some of you wouldn't have liked him at all. But God chose to protect those men for his purposes. But you know what's true also? Not every saint has been protected from disease and persecution. Paul, the same Paul who Nero let go in AD 61 or so, around AD 65, Nero had him beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. John was exiled to Patmos. Thomas was shot through with arrows, according to legend. Countless Christians were ravaged by wild beasts under the reign of Nero in the arena burned to death in his garden. And that's just the first century. Just a couple of weeks ago, it was only a day apart, the internet brought us news of two deaths. Tim Keller, you guys know who that was? Longtime pastor of a church, Presbyterian church in Manhattan, died of cancer. We knew it was coming. I mean... Keller had been fighting cancer for a while now, so you shouldn't have been surprised by that one. But we were shocked to hear that the day before, Harry Reeder, someone that my family heard speak in person in Orlando back in March, was killed in a car crash. What do you do with the promises of God in this psalm when you see those kinds of real-life things happening to faithful Christians? You know what, guys? A couple of years ago, some Christians got COVID and died. I got COVID and was fine. Does that say something about the reliability of this psalm? Listen to me, friends. Fear no earthly harm. I don't promise you that earthly harm may not come your way. We're not physical Israel with the promise of physical protection if we will just obey the rules. We're in a better position because we're the actual children of God filled with God's spirit with the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Instead of worrying, instead of fretting, instead of fearing that you might get hurt, get sick, or even die, set your mind somewhere else. As Jason is studying for the next elder sermon in Colossians, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on eternity. Set your hope 
in Christ. Set your heart in heaven. Set your focus on a new body, a resurrection body that will never be harmed, never, ever give out, never get sick. At the same time, rest in the sovereignty of God. Know that not one thing is ever going to befall you that is beyond the power of God. Nothing will come into your life that's outside of the reach of God. Nothing will hit you in the face that God says, oh, I didn't see that coming. God will either protect you from harm or God will be present with you to carry you through it. Shelter in the Lord. And because you have relationship with God through Jesus, fear no worldly threat. And before we go to the end, I do want to just point out to you that verses 11 and 12, they're the verses that the devil used out of context to try to tempt Jesus to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple. The devil wanted Jesus to presume upon the protection of the Father to circumvent the plan of God, and Jesus wouldn't do so. He pointed to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, which says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And in that citation, Jesus reminds us all, we would be fools to put ourselves intentionally in dangerous situations to force God's hand. That's not how this relationship with God works. We don't command God Neither do we try to circumvent the will of God. We serve God. He's our Lord. He's our King. And as we move to a close here, we're going to hear a third voice, the actual voice of our Lord and King, speaking of the one who trusts in and shelters in him. And I want you to hear it in point number three, trust in true relationship with God. Trust in true relationship with God. Listen as the Lord speaks. Listen to his promise for the one who knows him and shelters in him in verses 14 to 16. Just listen. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Hold fast to God in love. Know the Lord in true relationship. Call to the Lord in times of trouble. God will deliver, God will protect, God will answer and be present with his child and honor the one who trusts in him. God will grant long life, God will grant soul satisfaction. God will truly bless the one who trusts in a true relationship with the Lord. For the old covenant Israelite, this is a direct promise from God. If you people trust in and follow the Lord, God says to Israel, he's going to keep you physically alive for a long time and he's going to guard your nation. You know why? Because God would never let somebody go in and conquer the land 
wipe out the people and destroy his promise because God's plan for Israel was that they would be the vehicle through which he would bring the Christ into the world to bring about salvation for all of God's people. He's not gonna fail at that promise. So when they obey, he's gonna physically protect them. Contained in the old covenant, though, is a promise for the new covenant. Today, the promise is true for the children of God, but the application is different. God most certainly can protect you from any harm. And God often does protect you from harm. Have you ever thought about how many times you've lived when something should have killed you? If not, you definitely didn't grow up redneck because I had many things that could have killed me as a kid. But we've got something greater than a promise of physical protection. We do not have a promise of mere blessing for this life. We have a promise of rising from the dead, taking on new bodies, and reigning with the Lord Jesus for eternity. We've got a promise of souls that will be infinitely satisfied and utterly overjoyed in the glory of God. We have the promise of becoming exactly what God created us to be because Jesus lived and died and rose again to rescue us. So what do you take from this? If you don't know Jesus, you need to. Do you get that? If you don't know Jesus, I want you to. And not because it, it doesn't benefit me. I mean, maybe I guess it would one day because you'd be my friend and we'd be in heaven together. I'd like that. But honestly, I want you to know Jesus because it honors Jesus and it's the only thing that'll save your soul. So acknowledge that you've sinned against God. We all have. Acknowledge that you need God's forgiveness. We all do. Stop thinking you get to be the master of your own life. Believe in Jesus. Entrust your soul to his care. Be saved. If you say, okay, I hear you. I want to do that. I don't know how. Come talk to me afterwards. I'll help. Go talk to one of the elders. They'll help. When you know Jesus, you can rest in his promises. No, he does not promise you a simple, easy life in the here and now. He promises you eternity. And because you've got that promise, fear not. You've taken refuge in the Lord. He will keep you. He will preserve your life for every single day that he intends for you to live on this earth. Remember the psalm? All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Your death is not going to surprise God. And God's going to take you home to be with him when it's time. It might be today. I heard a story just this last weekend while I was away. A family caring for an aging mom and mother-in-law. And the story is, there was a day she was, had been under so much medical trouble and she's talking to her son. It's just a beautiful day. And she said to her son, you know what? Today would be a good day to go home. And her son said, yeah, mom. It would. That evening she did. And I promise you, when she left a failing earthly body to be in the presence of Jesus, 
she had it better. Much, much better. God says, I'll keep you alive until the last day I have ordained for you and I will bring you home. He will take you to be with him and he will bring you up out of the grave one day and he will give you a brand new resurrection body and he will give you joy forever. It is absolutely true. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Let's pray together.